Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best panels pertaining to RPG design and publishing. This has been made possible by Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia. Now to the show! Episode 53, The Cartography of Fictional Worlds. Recorded at Metatopia 2014. Presented by Kenneth Height, Hal Mangle, and Mark Richardson. Barcelona 1435 or hell. I should give you a look in the folder. <laughs> it's an idea. So, 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 so what, 
So when, when uh, so the last time I did this 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 panel, uh, I did it at Gen Con, and it was with five people who were practicing cartography. So the topic was more about what we did. Um, this has a good representation of people who are also designers, and so there's a different kind of thing. Because I mean, the way I look at it is like. Uh, like I, I guess at least from the structure of creating a map, there's a variety of different tools that you can use. There's basically two paths, at least in the world of RPG creation, is there's sort of more technical, traditional tools that are like as you throw AutoCAD, uh, which some people use more in the surveying field. Um, in, in my field, my background, we use a program called RPIS, which is made by a company called ESRI. Yeah, I used that when I, went, I, I, I should mention that I did uh, geographical data systems for Aetna uh, Health Insurance in Chicago, which is even more boring than it sounds. Yeah. But ArcGIS was what yeah. we used to make so, the maps. I have to say, that sounds really boring. Oh, God. Yeah. So, I mean, the strength of these tools is that information in the real world, and uh, like if you want to do, like I did maps for Urban Shadows, and so you're making modern maps with modern streets, I can pull up open source streets instantaneously and redraw them and create them and do design on top of the real. Um, you can also, a lot of what people are used to seeing as cartography in fictional games is from illustrators. There's illustrators who have a passion for cartography um, and draw. So people like Mike Schlee, who do a lot of the maps for uh, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition and stuff like that. Jared Blando is another guy who is at that intersection of cartographic skill with illustrating. Yeah, Jared Blando and Mike Schlee were both in the panel. Oh, great. So people who have strong backgrounds in illustration who uh, freeform and draw this, and you get wildly different products, uh, but and they both have purposes. Um, it depends on the kind of like what your art purpose is, what you're trying to make it look at like, um, and why you're trying. Like, what's the point of the map in the first place? You know, um, uh, in, in my feeling, like with games and game design, I mean, maps. The purpose of a map is to tell this is to help tell the story. Um, uh, like it, it, you can, uh, it, and it's sort of how the players sort of interpret their, their place in the fiction. So, um, you know, if, if you have a map that's a tavern, um, it's just a tactical encounter maybe, but you need to know where things are and uh, how close things are, where the window is and all that stuff. And then as you pull away, you get sort of a broader sense of what that world is like. What are the city streets like? How close are the houses together? Uh, you know, what is the city structure like? What is the countryside like? I mean, the most famous map, fantasy map of all time, I would say, is easily the J.R. Tolkien or the Lynch maps. Uh, and uh, I mean, I guess one of the interesting things about maps is, especially with RPGs, is there's maps and then there's fiction. Uh, if you, without the fiction, the map is kind of powerless because it's a, you're making a map of a fake place. If there's no context, if there's no fiction, it's just a cool map. I mean, Lord of the Rings has a cool map, but when we see a Lord of the Rings map, we can see where the Fellowship went, and there's all this fiction that we see, all characters, events, challenges that we see when we look at that map. But without the, the fiction, you just have a cool-looking map. And I mean, when you do game design and you have maps in-game, you're trying to reinforce the story and the fiction of your game. And there was this actually kind of an interesting confluence of it too because you had a, a role-playing game explicitly set there which had, you know, a, like Tolkien's map, you could say, is pretty much like a story map, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not terrained out. I mean, it gives you everything you need to know, but then you had a whole series of products in the in the, uh, in the 80s and the early 90s that all had, like, look, it's an actual map of Minas Tirith down to the streets and buildings and everything like that and really done that to a detailed level. 
which is kind of a completely different take on all the material that's being dealt with on this larger level above. In, in my experiences, uh, the intersection of the map and the story happen in two ways. They happen in the aesthetic, right? What the map looks like. So if you are trying to create a sense of a fantasy world or a sense of a historical world, the map should look like a artifact from that world. So when I was doing a D&D game set in you know, 9th century Lutheringia, I did a map using 9th century cartographic uh, standards, not using modern day cartographic yeah. standards. It was a modern map of France. It was a medieval map of France. And it gave the characters a look into the world that they were living in, while also giving them the sense of the relationship of these Francia here is here, is, you know, Aquitaine here is here. It's a sort of standard mapping thing that it does. The other way that a map feeds the fiction is to help literally locate the players mentally in the world. So the, 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 the map's aesthetics let them experience the world, and then the actual magic part of the map locates them so that they have a sense, what are the close threats or opportunities, what are the far threats or opportunities, where are the loci of treasure or magic or danger. And you can convey that either with a little blip that is you know, a little treasure box and a little um, uh, wizard hat and a little um, uh, skull, or you can convey it graphically by having the dangerous part colored in black with you know uh, the, you know a picture of a of a, of a savage Nosferatu and, and they're on the map and you're like well that's probably a look a look of danger I suspect yeah. and <laughs> there, there's a dragon on that corner of the map maybe you shouldn't go there and then you run into trouble when either you are so interested in providing a aesthetic experience that you forget the locating yourself part of the map or you are so concerned with providing a locating uh, part of the map that you default to you know. Michelin Road Atlas or USGS survey type maps, and you wind up wrecking the aesthetic because no one wants to look at a modern day map of Yorkshire. They're playing Ars Magica in Yorkshire. What they want to look at is a medieval looking map of Yorkshire with, you know, unseals and, uh, and dragons in the river and stuff like that. And they want to have a sense of the magical world of Yorkshire that they're inhabiting, not the physical world of Yorkshire. Obviously, if you go to a, you know, uh, ordnance survey map of Yorkshire and have a great map of Yorkshire, but it would ruin the uh, the aesthetic effect in terms of the, of the, of the effect on the fiction, the effect on the story. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of times when you look at maps, maps get big easily. Um, like, not, not just big as in, you know, there's a lot going on, but I think out of any artwork in a lot of games, they're the most likely to fall victim to becoming a poster or something like that. Which, if you do that, that's great, but now you have this huge piece of artwork that has to sing all the elements of your fiction. And if it deviates, like, and there's, I mean, I can't write, like, name drop some shitty maps, but, you know, but it's, yeah, I should. But uh, the, the thing is, like, a crappy map will disassemble everything you have worked to create. Um, if your fiction doesn't support the map, or the map doesn't support the fiction, they, they, they work at, they'll, they'll rub badly against each other. Um, you know, as you were saying, like, the aesthetic is what you're capturing for. If you, uh, so for example, uh, I'm doing a project right now for Project Dark for Will Heimark, and he said he wanted a, uh, a city that looked like uh, London meets uh, Constantinople or Venice or something like that. And so it was mashing, like what you do is you go get, but he wanted it to look like an 18th century kind of city. So what do you do? You go out and you get do research and you pull up historical maps of 18th century London and 18th century Venice. And you look at what they look like, and then you put them next to each other, and then you try to mentally imagine merging these things together, and what kind of god-awful thing would come out from that, and then you start recreating it. Um, uh, I guess, 
you want to open it like uh, it may be easier if you have questions about like because there's a lot of different angles we can talk about this. I mean, there, there are a million ways for maps to be good and a million ways for them to be bad. And, yeah, I think we've demonstrated our, our capability and willingness to hold you hostage and talk for the next uh, 40 minutes. But <laughs> I think, yeah, questions probably make sense. Yeah, sense. like if, you have, if, if, if there's things that you want to know, then uh, I think we've covered the gamut of uh, making a map physically or, uh, you know, and some of the tricks and tools, that's what you're interested in. I can tell you what some of that stuff we, we might have sort of have conceiving, making, and publishing. Yeah. That's sort of the three angles we would have here for you know, producing, I guess, what we would make so when I'm working on, on a setting, uh, one of the first things I will do is uh, work out the map, sometimes way ahead of the story. Uh, and in creating the map, I'm getting the story ideas and incorporating the map. That's why I can afford it. That's a tremendous idea. You know, I'm getting lost in what's out there on the paper in front of me and finding ways to kind of get things in. Without necessarily having the story aspects in mind first. Uh, although I can certainly see the, 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 uh, the usefulness of having all the story elements first and finding what's in mind. I was curious as to what uh, your experience is here in the creative process that way. I mean, certainly when I've just been drawing with the fun, which I've done for years, that, yeah, it's just, they're, they're great. I mean, they're, you, you, you draw stuff, and then when you draw it, you see something, and you draw something else. And they're, so they're great idea generators, whether they're pre-generated maps that you're looking at for ideas, or if they're something like you said, you're drawing it yourself, and as you're drawing it, you're coming up with ideas, you're going, oh, we could put this here, and so on, and it's sort of evolved. And that's coming at it from a different angle, from the, here is what I need, and the map person generates it. But yeah, but uh, I mean, so I might get, I mean, like, so for example, for uh, the Project Dark, I got a really shitty sketch of, uh, like, blocks, like, here's A, B, C, and, but what I was given was, a hey, because Will likes to write a lot, is that I was given a, uh, the city starts here, and after a period of time, it branches out to here, and after a period of time, it branches out to here, and you want to show us the flowing over walls and stuff like that, and so, um, I guess one thing I would say is like, uh, you know, start, um, sometimes you can start, like if you're creating a world from scratch, I mean one thing I would say is you're making your world, okay? Like people ask me sometimes, like, well where should I put the rivers? I'm like, I don't care, you know? Um, I mean, what are the rules of making a river? Well, I, technically, water flows downhill. But not always. But if, you're, this if, you're, is a fantasy yeah, world. if your world was a flat disk, it's supported on the back of four elements on the back of a turtle. You don't have to agree yeah. to the laws and bring the laws of geographic um, development. What I tend to do when I'm making maps is, is that I create big objects or points of interest. Um, I, there's going to be mountains over here. So maybe early on, I just like I literally do like you know triangles or something just to remind me there's going to be mountains over there. And there's going to be some castle if it's important. Um, and then there, well, the castle is the road. And then that's going to, and so you start, like, if you start with the big pieces, then you plot those in, and then you sort of zoom in and then fill out, um, you can sort of create more and more details. And then you'll get ideas. The ideas can go both ways. Like, you can create something physical on the map where you're like, this is a real cool idea of, like, this dark abyss. And then you're like, maybe that creates fiction in the world. But then you might also have like be writing something and go, well, this is a really cool idea. Let's add that to the map. You know, like let's make let's let's uh, let, why don't we have part of the town recently destroyed by a fire being rebuilt? You know, um, so smite out a corner a corner of the town that you originally created. Um, 
I think that kind of points into being an organic process where sometimes the idea drives the map, sometimes the map drives the ideas. And I guess that when you're, when you're creating something from scratch and it's a large thing like that, I mean, it's obviously a lot more differently when, you, when you're like, I need a map of this tavern so we can have a fight. I and mean, that's a much more boiled down yeah. sort of situation. I mean, even there, it can happen, I guess. The, um, I, I think a lot of it also depends on whether you're creating a map that is uh, grounded in anything. Uh, and, and this is where you rip apart for yeah. You can care as much as you want about terraforms and uh, earth science and whatever else. And the more you know about anything, the more informed your result is going to be because you're not going to make mistakes even if you never consciously think, oh, I have to think about rain shadows, so deserts always have to be on one side of a mountain range, right? You may never think that, but if you know it, you're never going to draw a mountain range with forests on both sides because it's just. You're going to know how desert works. But going, but you can also wind yourself up in a, in a trap of feeling like your world is wrong in a, in a, in a, in a fantasy sense if it doesn't obey, you know, Earth Science 101, which can lead you out of profitable areas of story. Map should always serve story. Now, I cheat 95% of the time because I write games set in the real world. So the map. Is made for me by you know God and Rand McNally, and so the you know I don't have the option of saying ah, I'm sick of Sumatra, I'm moving it, um, unless the game is about what the hell happened to Sumatra. Um, but, but when I did um, uh, Kilong, which was my Cambodia analog uh, for uh, language plane races, I didn't do just a map of Cambodia. I did a map of a part of Cambodia, and I used that as the idea generator. It's like okay, I know that there are mountains here now. Well, what are in mountains? Uh, jewel mine, gem mine. What's going to be in this gem mine? And that's the way that uh, that, I, that I drove it. But I did not just sit and say, well, it's fantasy Cambodia, I'll just draw it. Because that seems to me to be wasting the opportunity to be constrained. Constraint is where creativity grows again. Right? You either are constrained by time. I've got to draw this whole island before game tonight. Or you're constrained by something. It has to be an island. There has to be castle in the middle of it. There have to be uh, ants, so there has to be a forest. You know, whatever it is. The, the, the constraints are what is driving your creativity, both in story and in cartography. Yeah, like I think, I think when you're making maps of some places, constraints, it doesn't, it doesn't sound intuitive, but constraints are the most powerful. The most important thing for me, tell me what needs to be there. Yeah. What can't, like if the story is, like I had an old campaign for D&D, where it was like a world where there was like a, a, a dragon that had breathed fire and cut the continent in half. And so the, all the dwarves were isolated in the northern continent, all the elves were isolated in the southern continent, and there was this dash through the landscape. I'm like, all right, so there's your big constraint, you know? And you build everything from that. Yeah, and, um, and similarly, when we did the day of Ragnarok, it's like, well, the Midgard Serpent is lying across Africa and Europe. Where I draw the line could theoretically have been anywhere, yeah. but anywhere I chose is going to have major effects. Right. And so knowing that is begin to point the world in the, in the direction of, of one or another story. And once I realized that I've, now I've got a 200 mile uh, high serpent between the Atlantic Ocean and Russia, I need to have an explanation for why Russia just doesn't become a, a, a horrible uh, cold desert. And it's like, I, I can't have that. There's a bad guy. They can't be in a horrible cold desert. So I needed, and that's why I added you know, the ice giants there to, to keep Stalin's um, uh, empire alive with their, with their magic. Because I needed to have that, because the map created a constraint. But it was that big 
you know, the, the selling point of the fiction and the selling point of the map, that giant snake in the middle of it, or the, the yeah. gap that people yeah. rip. And there's no driver. I mean, other things like uh, like when you're doing math. Oh, any other questions? Or? No, I just wanted to. Um, where where do you think of the line is between it? If you overconstrain the users of the map by making it way too detailed and filling in every last tiny little hamlet in town, okay, so versus so leaving some room for creativity. For it depends on what you're aiming, though. But yeah. Like, like for instance, like uh, like Karn's a good example of this. Karn details everything. And their maps are really, really good, by the way. Karn maps were, were some of the first game maps that I came across. It. And they, they showed a really interesting line between that GIS look and in a fantasy world. It's, it's really well done. But they detail out, out everything because they are presenting you a world for you to play in and they want you to have all the things you can have to do. And it's just it's a, just a decision you make, I think, to go, you know, this section, we're just going to leave it blank. But, but again, the GIS thing works for Harn, because Harn is deliberately low fantasy. Sure, yeah. yeah. And so when you see that that, that, that boring uh, photography and you see that um, uh, standard modernist um, map, you know that you're not in a world of high fantasy yeah. wonder. You're in a world where grubbing for quarters is actually a major activity. Yeah, despite the fact that there is magic in there, it's a much more restrained level. It's a very good point. Yeah, they, 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 it's a good. It's actually a very good. The, the Harn um, design and the world itself is actually one of the earlier marriages of the two that was really good. But which which um was it? Moonquest that had blank lands. They had these areas. This group we call them blank lands, and they were like, we're not doing anything here. Do what you want, and you know, but they were actually specifically notated on the map as that, so that you could do whatever you wanted in that area. So I, I would say, like, I mean, what a lot of what you're talking about is map scale, and in terms of the amount of details and other things. Um, one of the, I mean, here's the thing: is if, if you make, if you look at a map in the U.S. and you, if, if you load up raw information like all of the high-resolution waterways, and you load it up like this big. The United States of America will look like the biggest spaghetti factory in blue you've ever seen in your life. There are thousands and tens of thousands of roadways and streams, creeks, ponds. So, like, as you get farther away from things, you have to remove things. Um, and then when you get, so like, you know, in cartography, it's a generalization process where, you know, I mean, the, the best example of it is um, if you're driving down a road and uh, oh wait, I think inventors are going to scrap maybe. So maybe, so like 100 feet to 100 feet to your right, there's there's a river, and uh, 30 feet to your left is a power line. Okay, then there's spaces that separate all these things. But when you look at the road map, there's a blue, there's like a, a blue line for the river. There's a black line for the road, and uh, maybe the power lines on there. But they're all separated by let's say a two millimeter gap. Okay. Now, if you look at the map scale. The max scale way to say that those two millimeters is like 500 feet. Well, you know in the real world they're not there, but you have to be able to see that. You know, if, if you if you want to show a river and a road and be able to see people see this on the map, they can't be next to each other. You have to pull them away. You're always going to change things and create things and uh, twist them a little bit so people can see. The important thing is that that the audience can understand what you want them to get out of there. If the adventure is all about traveling down this river. Then the details should be all the creeks and, 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 and places that come off that. Um, and so your rivers are going to be really important. And where the forest is is going to be really important. But maybe, uh, you know, no, I don't know. Like maybe the towns aren't that important. Like there's dots, you know, or you want to present the, the absence of information, right? Um, it, 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 the balance is really tricky. Um, a, a lot of it comes from experience, like in terms of looking at a map and going, how much detail is, is too much? Um, uh, one of the most challenging things I found doing 
uh, cartography for, for games is uh, the page size is incredibly small in these cases. Like people are like, can you make a map of the world in my six by nine page? I'm like, no. Um, I can try, but it will be it won't be this like because people imagine this gigantic poster, you know, miniaturized and it looks the same, but it doesn't. Um, you have to do things in different ways. Um, like uh, yeah. Um, Although that said, in this modern era of games being released digitally and everything else, you can very easily uh, create two versions of the same map. One that is the optimized yeah. for six by nine, uh, or for you know mobile device, really, and the other one that is the giant super-sized thing that you just go online and you hit you know yeah, I mean, expand, 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 and it gets as big as you can stand it. Yeah. Case in point on that, show and tell. Just to study it in a the difference of approaches that you can use for the detail as well. Like, um, we run for a superhero setting, we've had, we have two separate cities. We have Freedom City, which is our East Coast superhero city, and West Coast one. Well, one is not Boston, and the other one is not Seattle. And the map for the not Boston one was, was done by a guy who, uh, who, uh, that one. So, like, this is in the back of the, right. this, is, this is in the book for 13th Age. Now, this is if, this is what you can download digitally, and most people just see it in a PDF file, but, I have answer, uh, to answer, ability and access to fancy stuff, so I printed this big thing. Of course, I mortified all my players when I ran my 13th age game. And the very first session, I said, where's your town? And I pulled out a Sharpie and penned in the Sharpie. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, this is our world now. Screw 13th age. So, um, but yeah, I mean, sorry. I just wanted to show like yeah, how. Yeah. So so, uh, so one of the maps was done by, um, by a guy who was an absolutely professional cartographer. And these are both, both equally awesome in one way. He did every single street in the entire city. It, the, move, the map is an exercise in madness. It is like you. It is. It is like a, a detailed map of any city in America, down to any any level you would want to look at. Emerald City, on the other hand, it has the broad roads, some spaces, and the areas labeled. And they both work really well. They both look totally different, but they're totally and both to a certain extent. Still have blank areas because even when you have all these details of all these streets, you don't have everything detailed of what's on them. You know, there's one has more information for you to concretely use because you can see where everything is, and one has more sort of impressionistic sort of ideas of what goes in these spaces or what could go in these spaces. And it's two just very different approaches to the what is essentially the exact same sort of subject matter. And it is going to vary by uh, player uh, desire. I mean, there is not a right answer. You cannot say. This amount of 45% detail is the right amount for role-playing games. That's not true. And some players want the hex scroll. They want the harm. They want every hut in every village detailed down the last gold piece, and they want to know which raptor is hidden under. Well, towers and perils are yeah, But them. other players want the whole, um, uh, this is a land of orcs and ghosts. Roll one die six. On a six, you meet an orc. On a five, you meet a ghost. And that's all that they want. Sitting in Saturn I did for Will, there's 32,000 buildings on the map. Um, I think three of them have labels. Yeah, which you know, is like we've said where like what the castle is, and we've said what these things are. But it's like if you want to realistically portray like a London kind of fiasco of a city, you have to have a lot of square blocks, yeah. you know. And that's I mean, what if it's 32,000 square blocks, rectangles, triangles, and all sorts of other things? There's a lot of copy and paste involved. Well, when I when I looked at the 13th Age map, 
uh, what I see is not a modern map. I don't see that as saying this is a map. Of, if I were going to, you know, be uh, General Petraeus and invade um, uh, the, the Dragon Empire, I would use this map. I look at that map as literally a map that says this is a fantasy world map made in the last 40 years. So I do not think I am in a historical world by any stretch of the imagination, but I think I am in a Dungeons and Dragons game. And that's what that map is designed to do, is make me think I'm in a D&D game. I, I, you might be conflating production style with the, the map style itself, where that's obviously a map produced on a digital platform with, with you know, digital typography and stuff like that, as opposed to like a map that you would have seen in a real fantasy world where somebody was actually creating it by hand and everything like that. And, and I, if, if that's sort of what you mean by that, then it's definitely that. And I guess that once again goes to the feel. Like like a map like that probably is more appropriate for something like say Ars Magica, as that. And some of the maps in the earlier books, I remember, were had a very hand drawn yeah. to them specifically for they, that. They, they, they tried to aim at looking like medieval productions, although they were usually yeah 14th century. But um, yeah. but yeah, no, I look at I look at the the 13th Age map and I say that's a map of a D and D world, and that's exactly what Lee Moyer wanted it to look like when he. he I don't know who did the map per se, but he did the look of it, certainly. This is a pretty wide open question, but I want to just kind of get the conversation started. Uh, the question is, what does a map cost? What the cartographer charges you for. Right. Uh, I mean, let's say just like a, your, your average uh, budget that you might get in a, a world map. Okay, so, so, like that, okay, so, uh, to give some broad numbers, um, if the, the, I had a discussion when I was at Gencom because I was curious because I, I had lowballed my phone contract, um, and I was trying to wrap my head around it. So, what would be an appropriate price to charge a gaming company for a poster map? The general consensus was poster size, which would be say 20 by 30 inches. I, the average discussion point seemed to flow around 2000 dollars. So I would I would say between a thousand and yeah, two thousand. Yeah, a thousand and two thousand dollars. We were this is more like it, the bells and whistles and everything. Yeah. And um, now uh, but, but let's say a full page piece of color art, what does that go for okay. now? Full page piece of color art can go between two and four hundred dollars. So okay. and that's that's how I treat maps and commissioning them is I treat them like art. So I would say yeah, art, consider them as high end art. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Um, unless you are really going to be a giant pain in the cartographer's ass. You know, you can probably say, here's my sketch of the world, make it not look like ass. Uh, you know, we want it to look like um, Japanese cyberpunky math, uh, but with uh, talking kitties. And that's what the world is. And so, alright, I'm thinking about kitties, I'm thinking about cyberpunk, I'm thinking about Japan, if you have some lines, you can have some negative space, I can do this. And you pay them what you pay for the really good piece of art, for like the cover or something like that. So, I would say in the mid-hundreds, is probably a good budgeting now. Now, all you say is, what I want is a map so that they can find their way around Nairobi and call it a Cthulhu adventure, and here I have a 1922 map of Nairobi that I found online. Well, that's free, right? Because it's public domain for 1923. But if you want someone to do one that is optimized for the game, that, you know, just these roads, just this cult compound, just this government house, that's going to be maybe a piece of black and white art. So that's going to be maybe closer to $100, not yeah, $500. Yeah, it's going to, what I would say, to then, like, the way I generally work it, and I mean, I'm new to it, so, you know, a lot of times, especially with the, and, and there's, like, you know, what, you know, 
I think the $2,500 thing might have been more like if you did a map for like a poster for Indie 5 e you might be able to get a little more money out there. Um, I would say within like Indie Trust community, yeah, basically cartographers use the art budget, like you're in the art budget from most people's minds, mm -hmm. and you're in the same rate field as the artists. Most maps, I find, like it's, I mean, depending on what you're doing, black and white maps are really hard to do. Um, at least in my experience. It's very, color is very important to show the differentiating information on maps because they're so complex and there's a lot of things going on. Um, like if you just turned that into black and white, it would be useless. Um, it would, you know, like the red ones would look the same thing and you could grow through. It's designed as a color product. But your city, your city map, for instance, in black and white would actually work just fine. Yeah, you would have to change some things. But, yeah. you know, like the, um, yeah, so. You, you, you approach the project, so yeah, like the, the art rates would be similar to, to art projects. Um, yeah, like I mean, like a full like a full page cover of color artwork is maximum. I think a thousand dollars. Like again, they, you guys make more money. Not me. I'm a writer, not a publisher. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, usually it's like, and it, so like the way I work it is, um, if I have to because I do technical stuff. Uh, if I'm using, if, if you ask me to create something from imagination, then I'll charge more than if you say, like, so for, you know, uh, urban shadows, you know, like we want downtown locales of modern cities. Okay, well that's all open source information, so it's really manipulation of the data that's commonly available. So that's like a total manipulation for, you know. Uh, yeah, and, and sometimes it can be very much resources you provide the artist. Like if, if, you're, if you say, I need a map of uh, 1920s Tehran, and that's all you give them, then you're going to pay more than if you go, I need a map from 1920s Tehran. Here's the map I want you to work off of. Here's a list of locations I need on it. Here's everything we need, you know, we need to do. And you just follow the job out before you have to do it for free. Yeah. There you go. Sometimes you, you like that. You had a question. Yeah. Yeah, um, a couple of things. Um, first of all, I, I think that we should definitely address it. Like, there are also revision phases, so like you mentioned earlier, that you know you're going to be an photographer or like a graphic designer. Then they're they're going to need to be compensated for the additional revisions. So definitely keep that in mind if you are going to contract someone uh, for those purposes. But I think um, what well, earlier there was a great segue was talking about cyberpunk. I know that you're addressing like some of the ways that you guys accommodate kind of historical uh, cartography. Um, Defense, but not really, like, how would you accommodate um, futuristic, highly technical, or even post dystopian? So, like, that cyberpunk role playing game that I'm running after this panel that I'm making maps for. Um, uh -huh. um, you, <laughs> can, yeah, you, can, <laughs> you can get away, sometimes you can get away with, uh, like, cities, okay, like, so I have one, city, <coughs> I have one, I have two maps I'm doing for my game right now. I have one which is a post tsunami Vancouver city. So what I did is I took Vancouver, the existing road network, I copy and pasted roads to dance it out in just a couple spots so that the cities are a little bit more <laughs> And then I basically, I made my early draft, it, it was just making it look high second cool. So uh, the land is black, the roads are green, um, the, uh, the water is very light blue, so the whole city almost looks like a circuit board. Um, so you can get away with it in an aesthetic style. Um, other times it's like reinterpretation on existing things. So, for example, one of the settings in my game is uh, Israel in 2074, where the UN has occupied it, and so they just arrived, they rezoned 
in our country by UN sectors. So all of the boundaries people know are gone, and the whole map is in like blue and white UN with a corporate denomination and stuff like that. I mean, you can do all sorts of things. With, uh, I guess, future and post-apocalyptic, you can either start with what it is now and then draw on that, or you can just do the same thing you do in a fantasy game and start from scratch. If I were doing a post-apocalyptic map, specifically, because with Cyberpunk, I think it is, it's just a matter of making it look like whatever computer interfaces looked like five years ago, which is traditionally what Cyberpunk always looked like. <laughs> but if I were doing a post-apocalyptic map, what I would do is I would get like a Texaco or a Phillips roadmap of wherever it was, and I would write on it with as close to a burned stick as I could get. And so it would be like, you know, uh, Tulsa, not here, you would write, you know. <laughs> and you would make it look like there was, it, like your ground yeah. Vancouver, you know, you got your Vancouver, and then, oops, the tsunami came in. Yeah. And it so later. as an example for something I did just a while ago, let's say people playing my home games get good maps, but um, because I get crazy on them. So I ran a, a, a uh, uh, my own acting of uh, Fallout, uh, and I said it in the city of Ottawa where we were all the time. So what I did is I took Taco, uh, like the, the uh, topography of the landscape, like hills and stuff like that, and then I threw down the old streets. I basically washed out all the streets, and all the main streets were still there, but it's like everything else is just vaporized kind of thing. Um, so you can do stuff like that fairly easily in some ways. Um, I got really sticky with this because I made two maps. I made the map that they knew and they had mapped out on, and then I had another map which I kept on a computer screen which had where everything was. So I had like found things they could discover them and stuff. Sort of like a computer game. Um, yeah, you, you can do all sorts of stuff, like with science fiction stuff. Um, I, so there's a guy named Winchell Chung who has um, some really good star maps and galactic maps and a bunch of different ways to look at it. So if you go to his website, mm -hmm. you'll, you'll see a, a number of different uh, sort of Stellar cartography. Yeah, basically attempts to answer the question of how do you do uh, a three mapping a three-dimensional space on a two-dimensional surface that doesn't actually have live integrated data yeah. to display it. I'm thinking risking the because, because obviously everything that is mapped probably, you know, starting in the next decade is going to natively live in an information space where the act of finding out what that is is roll your mouse or Google Eye or something over it, and it's going to be levels of information which is potentially available that you can't put in the game book. Yeah, right. Uh, one of the things that I've been having, I've been passing hard notes back and forth on a project is sort of a, a like almost like a colony city world kind of thing, so like a cylinder kind of thing. And it's kind of a neat project because basically you make the city as a rectangle, but you're in your head. All the streets on this side connect to the streets on this side because the whole city does this. Um, yeah, sigil does that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a sigil, it works with sigil like. So, yeah. um, just to step back to the practical side in terms of the revisions, you can avoid a lot of problems with revisions just by giving the project with very clear material to the subject. I mean, I've had very few problems with that, thankfully. Um, and also just by checking in a lot of process to make sure they are going off in the wrong direction. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, but obviously, sometimes you might either be you might be the problematic client or you might be hiring the problematic cartographer. So it's good to be clear about what kind of revision process you want to have and, and, and work while you're working. And then that should be, obviously, it should be a little bit of a collaboration simply because you don't want to 
you want to be able to see along the way how things are developing so you don't develop them that blind border or I am in the concord uh, uh, Occasionally you will find an artist who better. Right. I used to uh, work with him when I came in. You shouldn't do this. Okay. And on first, the first edition of Dead Moments, uh, we had an artist who uh, uh, the, 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 the was an artist. He was an artist and a cartographer. And I'm blanking on his name. It was Jeff something other. And he was insane. Like he was a guy who did, like he, he did a map of New Orleans for us. Uh, that was this big ocean map for this box that we did. Um, and it, it was for a section of like the river and the French Quarter and all the stuff around it. And he drew every single house. Yeah, that sounds like a go by hand yeah. in, the, in the early days. So this is before that we were even doing it that way. And we didn't have to art direct him other than giving him the map that It was crazy. And he would always turn in good stuff and he did all of the maps. Any of the maps you, you, you ever played Deadlands and you played the first edition, almost all of the town maps of Tombstone and all that kind of stuff were all done by this guy. And he did like a 3D projected thing. But, that's, but that is a rare, rare, rare. But as an example in terms of the coordination of diagrams that goes back and forth, so um, Will Hammer for Dark gave me like notes on overall structure, but then I sketched out the rock structure and how this might look. And then I did the first quadrant of the first piece of the city, just like the, the look that you need, just as you want. And then we got into broader discussions, and like I said, hey, listen, you know, you're big on the fiction. Well, how do you want to deal with street painting and stuff? And because like if this is the kind of this is the detail we wanted, we wanted every street name, you know. And but he so he decided what we did is I did the whole map and then labeled every single street with like one app, two app, three app, four app. And I gave him a spreadsheet with uh, three hundred and twenty entries. <laughs> and then a month went by and I got a spreadsheet back with three hundred and twenty fictional entries of names. Uh, um, that's this is well. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he had tied all of these street names to elements of the fiction in his book, and then he was then adding them into, so like the poor neighborhood, and so, like it's like oh, there's some nasty. There's like you just read a couple of the neighborhood streets, and you're like, I don't even want to live or even walk down this road, you know, like disembowelment street, just terribly unpopular. Yeah. Well, there's like a Fleet Street, and we're like, ah, that'd be safe, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so. You, in a in, in, in a in a, uh, a family setting like this, we cannot actually name streets that were in Tudor London. Yeah, <laughs> it is amazing. And yeah, it, um, and you learn a lot about uh, geography when you're doing stuff like that. As a Canadian, I know really nothing about American geography. Um, and uh, I, like when I was doing a recent project, I was mapping out the bike all the the bike roads of New York, and it was really interesting because. Uh, I've never really, like, so I'm learning all of it. The neighborhoods are fascinating in, in, in New York, and, and Chicago's like that too. But the, the cities with a lot of history um, and, and, and really interesting things. And like bizarre things too, you know, um, that have all the things. Did you bring up the whole class, Ken? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, probably, but. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that really. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Any other questions about maps and other previews or news? I'm sorry. Do you have any resources for maybe just somebody who wants to make maps as a hobby? Well, I mean, if you, if you want to spend a little bit of money, there's always campaigns for content. Um, which is, you know, uh, I've, I've not used it as much as I probably would like because it's PC only, and um, it's a, but it's a pretty robust set of tools yeah. for an amateur. And it's a, a, a t- when I say robust set of tools, the learning curve on it can be steeper than you think. 
because it's it's actually it's actually a pretty extensive thing. But there are also there's some freeware stuff out there, isn't there? There's some freeware tools for that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. There are. It, all, it all varies. Like uh, like so, if you're an illustrator, um, like if you have natural art skills, then I would say lean heavy into that. Um, if you're doing it more for yourself, um, and you know, like if you use computer stuff like uh, Photoshop, that kind of thing, um, and you can find you can easily like you. Uh, some really good, uh, if you go to Cartographer's Guild, on the, there's a website called cartographersguild.com, it's a forum of cartographers and art play, role players, and they share all their work, and they'll have people who are like, here's the map I do, and it's crazy. And then they go like, here's 12 pages on my procedures, and how I did this. And, because, you know, from the art world, you have, like, Large collections of brushes and strokes and things like that, color palettes and stuff like that. Um, if you want to follow my path, uh, I got ArcGIS for twenty-six hundred dollars, um, <laughs> and uh, people were like, if "That was yeah, that was the sign of where that was where I started a personal business then." Because I'm like, "Damn right, that's the right off. Um But um, I mean, the advantage with some of the modern stuff like ArcGIS is you pay a lot for the software, but uh, vast, the vast majority of data in the real world is, is pretty open. I fairly easy to access. You know where to look. Okay. Yeah. 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 Sure. Sure. We well, can also close the door too. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, campaign card garbage is pretty good one. I think you can, I think campaign card garbage is like what? I don't know what they'll pay us for, like a hundred dollars maybe? I think that you can buy component, basically, I mean, you can spend as much on it as you want. <laughs> there, are, there are all kinds of modules and stuff that you can plug into the damn thing. And it's amazing what you can do. It, you know, the, the map, I think that's the, come out of that generally, they have a look to them, yeah. They, 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 it's easy to recognize a lot, and they're still very nice, but they're kind of they have a look that you, that yeah. you don't get when you have an individualistic card. Like some campaign cartographer, software-wise, originally I don't really get moved on AutoCAD, um, so it's sort of a much more linear constructed thing with sort of large raster-based uh, imagery that you can sort of like you make your mountains by putting multiple pictures of different kinds of mountains next to each other, and it looks great. And if you're doing this for yourself, your own game, or even your own small publishing print thing, they'll look like boss. Because every, seriously, the other thing, the other option, nothing. Yeah. Um, so it'll definitely look better. Also, like uh, pen and paper, um, I have totally, I, I, I don't do it enough, um, but you can make some really cool stuff. Like just get some nice pen and some nice paper. Um, there's some really wild stuff, like you know, dungeons and stuff like that. It's just black pens and white paper. I mean, that still be that so thing. way much better than anything else. Um, the uh, I think that that's sort of the main range of, of I guess the software. Is, um, they're the I'm not my background's not in illustration, so unfortunately I can't point you to like there are a whole ton of different programs. There's there's yeah, free free there's the GIMP. Yeah, piece of graphic software out there. There's a book. Honestly, if you just go out there and search, I mean, you can, you can pull. If, again, this is if you're using um, the real world, but you can pull. Base maps off of anywhere, oh, yeah. and just draw lines on it with whatever your draw lining program is. And honestly, if you're willing to spend like less than twenty bucks, you can get some amazing maps to source off of. I've got a, I mean, the map I've been making the right for the map I found on the web for free, but I've got a thing that if you do a second edition of it ever, I'm using the base map that is as like 
I think something like 55 different layers for the types of world map you want to have in it. It's this insane, crazy file I got, and I, I couldn't have spent more than you know, 10 or 15 bucks on it online, which is great, great graphics resource stuff. Yeah, like within the real world, you can also get um, there's freeware software like uh, ArcGIS Explorer, so that you can crack open modern GIS files for free, and so you can layer them and make a map like this. So if you were like, I'm making it, I'm playing a game, and it's modern day London, and we're a railroad, so alright, you know, you can download. Streets for London on Open Street and put something together. It might take a while, but you can do it. Um, some a lot of stuff out there you can you can create depending on trying to do. One one thing I would say, um, like it's much like anything else in game design. Like one of the best places to start is to steal. Um, some of the things I've done is, is uh, like especially for personal projects. But it, like so, I did like an adventure. I did like an alien style adventure at Gen Con. So I. Downloaded NASA satellite imagery of the moon and took a uh, massive crater on the moon and used that as the remnants of the colony wreck that, that got destroyed. And then I plotted on top of this moon with massive lands. And I just did that really badly in Illustrator. I think we have time for maybe one more good question. If someone's got one more good question. Or you can rush off early. Or um, how, long, uh, how long should you uh, give your, your uh, freelance cartographer to? to uh, About the same amount of time you want to get artists. I mean, honestly, it is, I, I, you know, like in, in an ideal world where you're still working on a production schedule, like two months is probably good. Um, you know, you can get stuff done in quicker time in emergencies, and I have had to do so many times that I've already talked about. But uh, usually, there's a corresponding, uh, you know, increase in uh, yeah. motivation. Yeah, dark, the, dark of a long time. Yeah. Yeah, make make your projects. You need to give them more time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, by and large, you ask them if they're yeah. if they've done it twice, they'll have a good a better idea of how long it takes them to do the given project. Yeah, from inception to end, how long was that? Like dragging it, dragging it. I don't know. I didn't do it. I mean, that's that's you know those guys are dead. Yeah. Anybody else have anything else you want to tell you about next? Yeah, we'll show. We like maps, we maps, but this gets started. Like Wizzy's third coming up. It's a good thing. Alright. Okay. Thanks for coming, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, Clark, you want your map?